Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. This is Gene Wilhelm. You're listening to Red Sea Roundup, and you're probably going to be listening to this either on August the 12th or the 15th. We're pre-recording this show this morning, so uh, we'll be talking about some different things, and I'm sorry that that it has to be pre-recorded this time. But I have a previous engagement for next week when when this will be broadcast. And I want to welcome all of our listeners on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR FM 98.3 in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. Good morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Gene Wilhelm. Great to be with you this morning on Red Sea Roundup, whether it's pre-recorded or live. Well, uh, it's live for us. It's, it's just it's not live. Be yes, it's live for us. And uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on here at Red Sea Radio for just a couple of minutes. Well, the, the I think the big news is we just got off of our ten-year uh, anniversary month celebration for the radio station here in Bryan College Station. Been 10 years on the air of Red Sea uh, Radio. Thank you for everyone that came out to our celebration at St. Anthony's, our Mass and Blessing. That was great to see. I think we had about 50 people there on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. And if you missed it, you missed some great cookies. Yes, indeed. We had sugar cookies and world-famous chocolate chip cookies from Darby Maka. And the other big thing that's happening, um, we are getting ready for our benefit dinner in October in Waco. October 8th is the date right now, Um, but we may have some venue changes. We will be letting you know about those venue changes once they are confirmed, but um, we're still planning on having our benefit dinner there in, in Waco in October, and we've got our KDC benefit dinner coming up in November. Please stay tuned to the radio, to the website for all the information and the changes, any changes or uh, adjustments to that as they come. And please pray, pray for the success of those events, because that's how we sustain um, this ministry and this radio station is through your generosity and through your prayer. So please pray for the success of those events as we move forward through these you know, uncertain times. Before I get to, to my saint of the day, you were telling me you have a little story to tell us about a saint whose feast is uh, this month as well. Yes. So um, we're recording this on August 5th, and yesterday, according to the 1962 calendar, the, the old calendar, it was the feast day of St. Dominic. And on the new calendar, uh, his feast day is moved to to August 8th. I didn't have time to look into why that got moved, but that's beside the point. Um, he is the founder of the Order of Preachers, and I have a little joke that I learned about. It's a Catholic joke, and it goes a little bit like this. There was a, a catechumen, somebody who's studying for to learn the faith, you know, going through RCIA, as yeah. we would say today, 
uh, and he's talking to uh, his mentor, and the catechumen says, okay, so now who are the Dominicans? And the mentor says, the Dominicans, well, they were founded by St. Dominic to fight the Albigensian heresy, and this would have been in the south of France in mm-hmm. the 13th century. And the catechumen says, okay, now who are the Jesuits? And the mentor says, ah, the Jesuits. Now, they were founded by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 16th century to fight the Protestant heresy. And he says, okay, okay. Now, so who would you say was the more successful, the better of the two orders? And the mentor says, well, let me put it to you this way. When was the last time that you met an Albigensian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's <clears throat> that's really something coming from you and talking to me since we're both products of, of Jesuit education. Yes, yes. Well, I can make that joke because I was a, I'm a product of Jesuit education. Uh, the other thing we talked about a little bit is that when, that, uh, when people take apart the word Dominican, mm-hmm. Dominicanus in Latin, mm-hmm. it—, it you take it apart, and it is Domini Canis, right. the Lord's dogs. That's right, the hounds of the Lord, yeah. So, And they, they are. They get after it. They get out there, and they're renowned as preachers and teachers of the faith. And um, like the joke says, they were extremely effective in combating the Albigensian heresy, which, which has so many um, resonances today, though, in well, our explain society. Explain a little bit to us. Well, just that um, the major thrust of the Albigensians was that um, only the spirit is good and the material, the corporeal, oh, is bad. The body is bad. Yeah. And one, some, of the, some of the teachings that they promoted were um, they did not want people to marry and they did not want people to procreate because... In their distorted view, that was just locking another soul in a corrupt, terrible body. If I remember correctly, one Protestant sect had the same idea, and that was the Quakers. Oh, m- perhaps so. That might may may maybe in some some uh, early 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 Quaker okay. early Quaker uh, t- denominations. Or so my my saint of the day what? for uh, August twelfth is Saint Jane Francis de Chantal. Okay. Uh, she was the protege of St. Francis de Sales, the writer of the Introduction to the Devout Life. Mm-hmm. She was also the foundress of the Visitation, Sisters of the Visitation. Vis- yes. That's easy for me to say. Uh, you'd think I was uh, re- trying to re- pre-record the Mass readings the way I handle that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little inside baseball there, folks, a little inside joke. Uh, the, the, yeah, my, my tongue gets kind of twisted up when I do that. But uh, the Visitation Order. And uh, but she was uh, her story is interesting, and I only take a couple of pieces. If if you go to the website, uh, golly, don't get me to lie because I don't remember where it is where I get this. Catholic.org. Catholic.org, and they've got about a page, page and a half on her that she she was married quite early in life, and uh, she got married to this man who supposedly was a wealthy individual, and found out that. You know, they they about to foreclose. Hmm. So uh, the, the, his de- debts. He was a baron, and his debts were enormous. But she, they came out of that, and she brought into the faith. She maybe not had all the money that he supposedly had, but she brought her faith in. And uh, there were a lot of financial worries. And early on in in the marriage, uh, uh, her husband was going f- hunting with a friend, and the f- 
the somehow or other uh, there was an accident and her husband was killed. The friend accidentally killed the husband. I think so. Okay. And so it says that she had a very difficult time forgiving the man for killing her husband, even oh. though it was an accident. Oh, I can only and imagine. And I, you know, and I was telling you earlier that that I know of a situation where something very similar happened, where yeah. a couple of young men were hunting, and uh, one of the young men got up at the wrong time and was shot in the head by his best buddy at that time. So, uh, but God, God even used that situation, and 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 as we'll be talking about a little bit later on, when when my guest CT is here, who's uh, with Team Red, White, and Blue, and he talks about his experiences in life and what Red, White, and Blue does, is that we go through circumstances that are difficult, Mm -hmm. and uh, we just have to get past them, which uh, St. Jane Francis de Chantal did. And with that, I'd like to transition in a little bit to the the gospel that you will have had on August the 9th. And this is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to remember that in this particular case, uh, it, the first reading is about uh, Elijah, who had come from killing the three, 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and now he's he's running away from Jezebel, and he ends up uh, at the southern end of the, the uh, of Judah, and God tells him to make a 40-day journey to Horeb, and uh, that 40-day journey again is symbolic of the. 40 years that the uh, Israelites spent in the desert. And they made a stop at Horeb, although most of the time uh, we read that as Sinai, so it's the same mountain. And so Elijah has his encounter with God there in much the same way that Moses had his encounter with God there. And then both of them had their encounter with the Son of God on the Mount of the Transfiguration. Oh. Now, so Je- wonderful parallels. Yeah. So Jesus, the 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 the, the disciples are coming off this feeding of the five thousand men plus the women and children. Right. So they had this huge success, similar, very similar to what Elijah had on Mount Carmel, and Jesus is sent sends them off to go into the boat, and he'd catch up with them later on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, what. What you see there is, and then Jesus goes up to pray. So they go off, and it con- it, contrary to the time earlier uh, when Jesus went with them in the boat, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, there came a storm. Jesus was right there with them. So there was some comfort that Jesus was, was with them in the boat in the storm. And in this case, they're in the storm by themselves, and they can't get anywhere because they, they just can't row to get away. Sort of similar to what happened to Jonah. <clears throat> Pardon me. When Jonas, Jonah was uh, in the storm and was eventually thrown overboard, the, the men couldn't row to shore to get him to shore. But Jesus is there, is, is coming, and he comes walking on the water. And he encounter, they encounter him in this Jesus walking in the water. And they have, it's outside of their realm of experience, so they think it's a ghost because everyone knows that a man can't walk on water. Right. So what, what I take out of that is that sometimes we go through the storms of the life and we know that Jesus is there with us right there. Other times it seems as though Jesus has told us to do something. We go follow him. We encounter all sorts of problems and difficulties, and we don't see Jesus coming at us. And when we see him, we don't recognize him, and maybe we're afraid of him. 
but he's there for us to rescue us. In both cases, in both storms, Jesus rescued the disciples in the boat. First time he rescued them while he was with them and they knew he was with them. And the other time they had to, they had to wait for him to come into the situation and rescue them. And I think when we look at our, at our, our guest for uh, today, oh, CT, yeah. he went through all sorts of perils and difficulties and storms in life. And when you hear his story, he talks about that it was prayer, and in particular, this military rosary that he received that really got him through those circumstances. Yeah, I think that the the reading, the gospel reading that you cited there is so instructive for each one of us in our, sometimes it's just daily battles, or it's it's a it's a persistent um, difficulty that that hangs around or c- goes away for a while or and comes back in the, in the spiritual life, and we have to keep struggling with Christ, not trying to to do it on our own, but letting Him come walking across the water of that of that difficulty to us to 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 get us through. What happens to us is what happened to Peter when he finally realized it was Jesus. He said, let me get out of the boat and walk to you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, he was trying on his own efforts to do that. And he took his eyes off of, the, off of Jesus and put them on the circumstances, and he began to sink. And that can happen to us. Uh, and uh, we've, there's so much in that that goes beyond what we're saying. There's one other thing I'd like to discuss a little bit, and that is that probably about the time that this is broadcast or the week after, mm-hmm. a lot of children are going to be back, going back to school. And our country is at a time of crisis right now, and there's tremendous storms both on the medical and the political front right now that we're having to face. And we need to see Jesus in those circumstances. I ask Jesus to come into those circumstances to heal us, to save us. We have to say with Peter, Lord, save me. We need to say with Peter, Lord, well, not say with Peter, but we need to say, as Peter said, Lord, save our country. And uh, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity that we have right now. Yeah, indeed, Gene. So, um, with that, we're gonna have we're gonna be on the other side. We're gonna be talking to uh, CT, who is a gentleman who put his life on the line for this country in military service. He was a special forces soldier, and we're gonna hear about his experiences in uniform and also how he has been there for his fellow veterans in the recent years, and. Uh, that's coming out on the other side, Gene. So you want to take us to the to the other well, side? Okay. Uh, yes. We'll be right back after these few messages, as they say in commercial radio. And we, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have today in the studio with me my guest, C.T., who I'll introduce in just a minute. Uh, those of you who are listening, I want to remind you that this is pre-recorded, so we will not be able to take telephone calls today. And I want to welcome again all of our guests, not only on KEDC here in the Brazos Valley, the 
larger Bryan College Station, Aggieland area, as well as KYAR 98.3 in Central Texas, the Waco and all the area around Waco, and as well as our listeners on KINF 107.9 in Palestine. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, I think you're going to really be get a lot of good information and from our guest today, and I, with that, I want to introduce C.T. How are you doing, C.T.? Good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate your willingness to uh, be a guest on this show. Uh, you've led a rather interesting life uh, just on the brief conversations that we've had prior to this. you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up? Uh, growing up, um, <clears throat> you know, I come from uh, several generations of farmers and ranchers, so um, my folks were, were no different, you know, and grew up on a farm. And, um, yeah, I think that's probably where I gained a lot of my work ethic and, and things like that that set me up later in life for success. Okay. So it was a farm here in Texas? Yeah. Um, I, people would probably consider this Houston now, but, uh, at the time, you know, the nearest city had a population of maybe like two or 3,000 at most, something like that. And, okay. Well, and what city was that? Uh, Waller, Texas. Okay. Waller's a little bit bigger now. It, it, it's, it's, it's world famous for one thing there, isn't it? Right. That's how I, and when people don't know where it's at, that's how I tell them, you know, I was mentioning the, the Bucky's, the big gas station there. Yeah. Okay. So did you go to Waller High School then? No, I didn't. Um, I went to a Lutheran high school in Tomball. In Tomball. Okay. Yeah, I did. Okay. And so after high school, what happened? Um, <clears throat> I did a couple things. I joined the Army Reserves and uh, started school at Texas A&M. Okay. Did, did, and it's, you went through Texas A&M all the way? or? No. Uh, that, that's an ongoing story. So I've, I've been going to A&M over a period of about 20 years now. And, and so I'm sure that some of the courses that you took originally will not count toward a degree. Uh, well, the ones that I failed, no. <laughs> but, uh, but actually, you know, I, I started taking some classes now, um, again, taking advantage of, of some of the online stuff that's out there. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually hoping to actually finish in about a year and a half or so. Well, that'd be great. And uh, there are a lot of people. It takes a lot of time to get that degree. I, I saw something on the news the other night about a man who was 90 that finally got his bachelor's degree. Yeah. So I, I think you're going to finish before him. Yeah, I hope so. But, you know, the way things are going, you know, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> so uh, you, you went to A&M for a while, and you weren't in the Corps, but you were, you were in the reserves. Right. And so when you decided, you and A&M decided that you didn't want to go here anymore, what happened? Um, I mean, it was really my time in the reserves. You know, I, I went off to basic training and um, really about two weeks into it, I, I just felt that this is what, what I want to do. Like, I don't care about school or anything else. I just want to I want to go active duty and, and be in the Army. And initially I, I joined as a mechanic and, um, you know, that's what my interests were mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, still are. I'm still into cars and everything. But um, I, uh, <clears throat> you know, once I started to learn about the Army during basic training and everything, that at that time I was like, I want to go in the infantry. Like, I, I don't want to be a mechanic in the Army. I want to be an infantryman. Uh, but I, I finished basic training, um, my training to, to be a mechanic, and I came back to Texas, you know, to 
start back school and everything. And I went to the same recruiter that put me in the Army Reserves, and I told him, I was like, hey, I want to go active duty. Like, I want to go infantry. This is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, this is before 9-11. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> so war wasn't an, an active thing at the time. And, uh, you know, he, he told me, he's like, look, you know, you're in a good school. Just go back to school. Don't, like, don't go active duty. Like, this is not what you should do. And I was like, no, that's really what I want to do. Um, but it didn't matter anyways because he told me that I had to have at least six months in my reserve unit before they could make the decision that they could release me to go active duty. So, um, you know, I, I had that much time, so I started back taking classes at A&M. And, um, uh, yeah, and then 9-11 happened. Um, you know, I was still within my time frame where I couldn't leave to, to go active duty. And... Um, But I thought, I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm going to get to deploy. Um, And I had drill that that weekend right after 9-11. And I saw some E-7, you know, that I'd never seen before, Um, you know, at our— Explain to us that aren't military what an E-7 is. So it's a sergeant first class. It's a senior non-commissioned officer. Okay. Um, So it's about as high as you can go before you would become a lieutenant. uh, Well, there's two other— ranks, I guess, higher um, on the enlisted side. But uh, so it's a a senior enlisted guy. And, um, you know, he's like, you know, barking all these orders, telling people that we're going to deploy to have a bag ready and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, like, I don't have to worry about going active duty because, you know, we're we're going to deploy. And um, I stayed with the unit for a little while longer and nothing more ever came of that. and so I started looking at going active duty again. Um, and I, at, the, at the same time, I was volunteering for anything and everything that, like, I could do with the reserves. You know, if they needed somebody to, you know, go to some military base to pick up trucks or whatever, to take trucks there, you know, anything. Like, I was, I was volunteering for it. And um, But then, long story short, I finally um, um, worked with, with a recruiter. Um, a recruiter and was able to to go active duty and my contract at the time even though I had finished basic training about a year and a half or maybe somewhere around a year uh, prior to that said day one week one basic training infantry you know like as if I was starting over you know that must have been disappointing uh, at the time when I signed the contract, I was happy to be going active duty. Okay. So I, I really didn't mind that so much. Now, when I stepped off the bus in Fort Benning, Georgia to, and, you know, and I was for real starting over at day one, week one, then I kind of asked myself, like, what have I got myself into, you know, but, um, it ended up working out. I mean, you know, that same day they asked who was prior service, and I was like, well, I, I, I think I am, and raised my hand, and, um, you know, they started asking me some questions and basically kind of fast-tracked me through, like, the basic training portion. and Just to refresh your course for you. Yeah, there were a couple of things. Like, I had to retake a PT test, and mm-hmm. if I passed that, they would move me to, like, week three. Um, if I have my rifle qualifications card, they would move me a little bit further and that kind of thing. So 
I didn't exactly start over, um, but uh, but from there I went um, straight to airborne school, and then went. Now, where, to, is, where was that? Um, it's a, uh, a a school to qualify you to be able to jump out of airplanes. Well, it sounds like fun, but with a chute, of, yeah, of right, course, right? Right. Yeah. All um, all static lines. So as soon as you exit the aircraft. Um, you know, it's, it's pulling your, your parachute open and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so I did that. And then not long after that, went to, uh, special forces assessment and selection. And then was that, was that at Fort Benning also, or that was at Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg. So, yeah. Um, I want to say, let's see, this would have been around like January of 2003, got to Fort Bragg and then, um, yeah, went went to selection there, and then spent. I, I mean, the rest of my time in the military, uh, based out of Fort Bragg. Um, okay. Now, I, I, now I'm just a casual observer here, CT. So I don't know exactly whether I'm speaking the truth or not. But what I see in all of this is that, that somehow or other, you had in you some God-given talents and desires to do something, and then sort of your life was moved along until you got to where you could fulfill the call that was on your life at that particular point in time. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I, I haven't thought about it in that way. You know, I at the time when I was in the reserves, and I haven't thought about this in a while, is that I felt that I could do more. And that's part of what drove me to, like, initially, like, I want to be in the infantry. And then it's like, okay, well— what is something that I could do more, you know, and, and then that was special forces. And so I guess, uh, yeah, there, there was something continually driving me to like, what, what can I offer more of myself? What is going to be the place that I can do that? And, and from what I understand of your life today, that is still driving your life. What more can I do? Yeah. Um, I, I think one of, my top five values is is being the best. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I fail at this every single day. You know, we're talking about working out and stuff. Um, I go to the gym every day with the intent of winning every single day, and I lose almost every single day, you know. But there's something driving me that I want to be the best at whatever it is that I'm doing. Like, I want to give my best at it. Well, isn't that—I mean, if you, if you really look— uh, isn't that the call on each of our lives to give our best in all that we do so that we, as, as, as Matthew Kelly talks about it, become the best version of ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still working on it. I mean, that's part of why I'm going back to school again is to continue to invest in myself so that I can be better to hopefully offer that to help someone else be better. Well, as somebody quite a few years older than you, I can tell you that 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 need to become better doesn't stop at any particular age. And uh, so, yeah, you've got a long road ahead of you, but I, I really admire what you're doing in, in, in pursuing that. Let's go back to Fort, uh, to Fort Benning. Okay. Uh, to Fort, uh, Fort, Fort Bragg. Bragg, I'm sorry. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. that. That must have been grueling training at Fort Bragg. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have a, a different perspective on it in that um, – well, you have to remember that I'm old and flabby. Yeah, I think if I were to do it maybe today, it would be pretty uncomfortable. But uh, I, I think I went into it with a mindset of knowing that, hey, this could be really tough. And, 
there's going to be a lot of time where, you know, I, I am uncomfortable. Um, and so I think going into it with the mindset of really, you know, that, hey, this this could push me to, like, the, the limit of what I'm capable of doing, uh, I think made it a little bit, I, don't, I wouldn't say easier, but, um, you know, it, it made it to where it was something that was doable, you mm-hmm. know, just having that, that mindset. Well, even now, you say you go to the gym every day mm-hmm. and you've gone back to A&M. A lot of those things aren't really comfortable at the time you're doing them, but you see the results of the effort that you've put in. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, there's a lot of other driving factors too is that I knew if I were to fail at any point, then I became needs of the Army. You know, they were going to send me. It didn't matter where I wanted to go. They were going to send me mm-hmm. wherever the Army would need me. And um, um, and if I if I pass, if I push through whatever is thrown at me, then that gets me to where ultimately I want to be, which is on a special forces detachment. Okay. Uh, my guest today is CT. Uh, he's telling us about his life story right now, and uh, CT is currently with Project Red or pardon me, Team Red, White, and Blue, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes and when we know a little bit more about him. Uh, but uh, I want to thank our listeners here at KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley, KYAR in 98.3 in Central Texas, and KINF in Palestine for listening today. Uh, this is a pre-recorded program, so we will not be able to take phone calls. I, I think because you hear more of CT's story, you will probably want to know, know more about him, and we'll, we'll, uh, he'll tell us a little bit more about himself here and how to find out about pro, uh, Team Red, White, and Blue. So you're at Fort Bragg, right? and you're doing training and you're for, for special forces. Right. And how long does that team training typically take, CT? So I, I started selection around April of 2003, mm-hmm. and I completed the course in September of 2004. That's a long time. Yeah, so usually it's uh, anywhere from a year and a half to, to two years plus, just depending on uh, – because there's different specialties that you can get trained on, everything from weapons to engineer to, to medic and – I mean, uh, you me- don't strike me as a medic. No, I'm not. Um, I I love medical training. Like it was one of my favorite things to cross train on. We'd always cross train each other because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times you may not you may be like a two man group and one of those two may not be a medic. You know, mm-hmm. and so you need to have some of those same skill sets. It was my favorite thing to cross train on, but um, it was the very last thing on my wish list that <laughs> I wanted to wanted to do. So, but yeah, that that one. In itself, at the time, added a year to the course because the, the medic. Training? Yes. Oh gosh, that, because so it's fairly thorough training for a for a lay. Well, I'm going to call you lay person because you're not you're not a nurse or doctor or a corpsman. Right. So I mean, like our SF medics, special forces medics. Uh, I mean, before they get to a team, they have for real um, pulled teeth, delivered babies, treated gunshot wounds, and. I mean, a variety of, of trauma. I mean, they're in there, like, they do, like, a residency portion to to hospitals and things. And oh, well, that's that's good to know. Yeah. So, I mean, they're some of the best medics, you know, that, that the military has to offer. 
Wow. I, I, I didn't realize that, that, that they had that detailed a training. So let's go back to your training. So, mm-hmm. so what was your specialty? Um, initially, it was engineer. So I, I spent, um, um, you know, my focus was on, you know, dealing with explosives as well as like construction. So mm-hmm. that's uh, an interesting combination. Yeah, like building things Build it and, and then blow it up. up. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it was pretty useful uh, on the construction side of things, especially you know some of my well my my first trip to Afghanistan because at the time uh, half of that trip we spent building three different fire bases. So explain what a fire base is for our listeners that that aren't really sure what what you're talking about, like me. Yeah. So. Um, there's, I, I guess the the best way to describe it would be, um, you know, a lot has changed since I was in Afghanistan. It's, it's been a couple of years, but um, at the time, you know, when I was deploying to to Afghanistan, there were uh, maybe three or so really large bases, mm-hmm. and you know, generally there there's an airfield there, and I mean all kinds of aircraft. Um, you know, all types of, uh, I mean, really things that they have available to, to, to soldiers. And actually, I mean, it's, it's not just army. It's so it's a place that's probably more comfortable than the places you were assigned. Right. Um, I mean, generally when you see, um, you know, some of these like musicians and stuff like that do USO tours, you know, they're generally Mm -hmm. going to some of these larger bases where a fire base, um, you know, a lot of times it's maybe, uh, and if so, it, there's something I'm asking you that you can't talk about because no, of no, what no. you know, please tell me because I'm not too clear on some of these things. No, it's it's, it's totally fine. Um, it's generally much smaller. A lot of times there would be us, which is between eight and twelve um, green berets, and then sometimes it would just be us and Afghans that mm-hmm. are on the space. Sometimes it would be us, Afghans, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe 20 infantrymen okay. uh, that that were, you know, working with us on, on some of the missions, helping, mm-hmm. you know, guard the base. But uh, there's not much more than that. And, okay. and so it's, it's pretty remote. It's, um, you don't, there's not Dedica- dedicated aircraft that are sitting on, you know, mm-hmm. right next to the base or anything like that. I imagine in a situation like that, you can feel pretty isolated. Yeah. Um, it's interesting looking back on because sometimes I, I think about it in that, oh, it's no big deal, you know. And then sometimes I think about that it's like this seems like an entirely different life and I'm not sure how I live that, you know. It, 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 I would think that uh, – if I were in that situation, I'm not sure how, how much opportunity you have to communicate with loved ones, uh, what type of communications go back and forth, just getting letters or packages or whatever. I'm sure that, that it's pretty difficult for that. to. I mean, there, that's got to be a strain that you feel separated from so many people and things that you hold dear. Yeah, a lot has changed. Um, now, I, I think guys have like iPhones and stuff like that downrange and the, I mean, you know, the capability of an iPhone being connected to whatever, you know, is immense, you know, as far as being able to yeah. communicate. But um, uh, for me, I, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't have that. You know, my last deployment was in 2012. Um, and I'm how not, many deployments did you have, CT? A uh, total of seven. 
Wow. Seven. Is that as as is part of the special forces? Because you also did something after you left. Yeah, I, I did five combat deployments um, on active duty as Green Beret, and then I did two as as a contractor. Okay. So let's go back to the situation when you're in one of these. Mm-hmm. What do you call fire camp? Fire bases. Fire bases. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what is life like there? I mean, really, you're um, <clears throat> there's a lot of things going on, really, for just a small number of people. Um, you know, just some of the things that some of the guys on the team are doing. I mean, you're managing logistics, whether it's food, ammunition, making sure that mm-hmm. we, we have an, enough of that stuff in addition to your training, your partner force, which in this case would be yeah. Afghans, um, because they're the ones that, I mean, you're doing missions with and and – the end state for us is to always get those guys to a point to where they no longer need need mm-hmm. us, and they can do this stuff on sort their of like own. a parent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so, I mean, that's some of the stuff that's going on on a daily basis. You know, actually on the firebase. Outside of that, I mean, you're you're running missions, which um, I would say. Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it could be a couple in a day. Sometimes mm-hmm. it could be one every three days kind of thing, just depending on what's And you never know going who's on. going to shoot at you. Yeah. I mean, um, at some some places were better than others, but, um, I mean, there were a number of times where, you know, depending on what firebase we're at, you know, would get attacked mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, that's... Obviously not ideal, but, uh, you know, and I'm just thinking about different places, but um, part of what we would do if that was the case, if there was no white space, you know, basically Mm -hmm. where people were for Mm -hmm. real shooting small arms at your your fire base, they're that close, you know, you you obviously want to expand that so you have some breathing room Mm -hmm. to be able to Mm -hmm. not worry about just defending the place, but also to be able to run some kinetic operations uh, outside of it. You were when we talked. Uh, I think it was last week. We talked a little bit about the spiritual isolation that you, mm-hmm. that exists in a firebase like that, uh, and you indicated to me at that point in time that a, a chaplain might come every very seldom and somehow wiggle his way onto a supply truck. Yeah. So, you know, out of all of my deployments, um, there was only one time where a chaplain was able to make it out. Part of it is because, you know, those, um, call them um, ring flights, which is, you know, helicopters. Okay. Oh, that are, so it's usually helicopters instead of trucks. Yeah, it would be way too dangerous for um, someone to drive. Mm-hmm. It, okay. Especially, like, there's no way that somebody would send a chaplain on a convoy up to unless wherever it's, we're at. Unless it's somebody like, uh, if you have heard about fa- Father Vincent Capadano during the Vietnam War, who was on the front lines, or Father Father uh, Emil Capon during the Korean War, who was right there, they, they they just forced themselves out there. Yeah, I I think people are uh, trying to be, I don't know, keep people safe, you know. Yes. And and there's <laughs> probably not as much of freedom of movement as some of those guys in the past have have had. But well, now the the chaplain that came out there mm-hmm. was he a Catholic chaplain? I don't think he was. Um, okay. Uh, I, I want to say uh, I can't remember, but I, I don't believe he was a Catholic chaplain. Um, but but yeah, he. Uh, 
I, I thought it was pretty interesting for him to come out, and I think he. Anyways, he he made his way out to us. However, it, it happened, you know, which, like I said, is a pretty rare event. So it was just a quick in and out. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think he probably would have been with us for maybe a week or so, because okay. sometimes that's how long those those flights bring supplies. Okay, okay. In and so out he with... he came in with one set of supplies and went out with an empty chopper the next time. Yeah, or or however it works. Yeah. But yeah, he would he would have been with us for at least several days, if not a week or more. Well, with that type of situation, uh, maintaining any kind of spiritual life must be very difficult when you're in a fire base or someplace like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I ended up with these. And, and actually, I, I still I still have one, which is um, um, over, over time ended up with several rosaries. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing fancy about them. They're actually made out of... Uh, what's holding on the actual beads is uh, 550 cord or or paracord. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's gutted, and I still have I still have one, and um, you know that it, it's something that that's it's pretty meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are places, there are things like Word Among Us and Magnificat that attempt to send uh, the the magazine with the 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 uh, readings for the mass and and some uh, commentary on the readings. And I'm sure none of those ever get out where you are because it, it, it has such limited resources. Yeah, I, I never saw any of that stuff. Um, like I said, I, there were some generic Bibles that, that mm-hmm. the military has. Um, and, I mean, of course, I, I, I had my own, but um, really it's the rosaries were the, mm-hmm. the closest thing. And... Um, um, and actually, there was a cross that somehow I, I had at one point, mm-hmm. and I actually have like an image of it tattooed on my my ankle. Oh yes, it's, this is the, the same, Celtic cross. Yeah, it's the same same. I mean, that's what it looks like. I still have that that cross. Um, mm-hmm. Just really quickly, what can? Because uh, I want to get to to Team Red, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. We we don't have a lot of time for that now because you're so interesting. Uh, what can a civilian do to help our troops that are in situations like you were in? Uh, Other than, pr- you, I knew obviously pray is uh, one that, of them. That was the first thing that came to mind. But um, outside of that, I, I'm not sure, you know. Um, my mm-hmm. situation was different than a lot of folks yes. with um, uh, being, being in special operations. Um, in, in some ways, we have almost everything that that we need, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I really would only say that, like, the only other thing that I could have needed was was prayer, you yeah. know? And, and well, that's I'm, about the only thing that you could get there in the first place, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in prayer. Like, you know, my mom, you know, I, I can remember— did, did, did your knees ever recover? <laughs> she still prays for me quite a bit today. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, she—I remember her. You know, this is around the time of my last trip on active duty. Her saying something like, "You know, you know, make sure you're still praying." And I'm like, "Mom, you're like, you have no idea. Like, I, I'm not going to get out of this place if 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 mm-hmm. I'm not praying." And um, so, yeah, definitely spent a lot of time in prayer. But mm-hmm. I, I. Can't think of anything else that I, I would have needed from from okay. someone else, you know. 
let's jump ahead a little bit okay. to your transition out not only from being a Green Beret but being a contractor and you're going back into civilian life. Uh, and then let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in Team Red, White, and Blue and how they helped you with that transition. And then we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing with them now and how people can help. Okay? So well, you want to talk a little bit about your transition. And, and yours is maybe typical or atypical of what happens when a person comes back from the type of situations you were in. Was that something very difficult for you as you came back and tried to become a civilian again? Yeah, my, my transition was, was extremely difficult. And it's taken me a, a long time to be able to even say that, you know, because um, I – you know, at the time, I looked like I looked at it as if I was failing, and mm-hmm. um, so that and that that has that has to do a lot with your personality mm-hmm. and what's building into you that 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 you were programmed for success, right? And anything that distracts you from that, yeah. Um, I had someone tell me um, a few years ago when it, it was a race that I showed up to, and I mean, you had to carry forty five pounds and. You know, you could run it if you wanted to. Most people kind of walked or maybe mm-hmm. ran just a little bit and walked a majority of it. And um, and I won the thing. And afterwards, someone told me they're like, "You're you're just like hardwired for that, and you don't know anything otherwise mm-hmm. than to to try and try and win." You know. So that must have made your transition a lot more difficult. It did because I again I felt like I was failing, but. Um, my transition, so uh, from the military to being a, a civilian, air, air quotes, um, I, I, my last day um, on the team was on a Friday. I cleaned my stuff out of the team room on a Friday. Monday was Veterans Day, and Tuesday I started working in, in another job, technically as a civilian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I did that for another couple years. Um, you know, still deploying and everything, but it really was not transitioning out of the military yes. because I was yeah. still deploying. You were you basically a soldier who wasn't a soldier. Right. I, um, you know, I was working with military folks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and was having like an immense impact on, on the world, I felt. Mm-hmm. At, at, you know. So it was your call. Again, it was your call. Yeah. Your calling at that um, point in time in your life. Yeah. And, and so... I mean, life was really good, um, and I can't say that that was there was any kind of difficulty associated mm-hmm. with that at all. Even though, okay. like, technically, I was, I was a civilian. Uh, but in 2012, my son was born, and um, people say that you change when you have kids and all this stuff. Um, you do. You don't get a lot of sleep. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, for me. I would say that wasn't so much the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I had known bef- long before at the thought of having kids, you know, was was going to be a thing. That um, I wanted to, I wanted to be a good dad, mm-hmm. and um, that was something super important to me. And so when um, my wife was pregnant, like at that point, like I knew in my head, it's like, okay, like. That's it. Like it's time to mm-hmm. to, to move on to be a good dad. So you now, I, so you've gone through your adolescence, and now you're going to grow up and face life for the next phase of your life. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> um, we started making changes to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I um, I I knew that I had to do something different, 
like this, you know, I have a lot of friends still that they have double digit deployments and like three. Oh, or four, I can't imagine that. three or four kids kind of thing. And I have a lot of respect for that because I, I know how hard that is. Um, I was supposed to be deployed at the time when my son was born and I was able to stay back for the birth. And then right after that, I was I was Ooh. back overseas. And um, when I came back from that trip, um, you know, two months later, we I mean, we'd already sold our house before my son was born um, and just started making a lot of those changes for mm-hmm. when I came back from that trip. That was it. Did you, know? you move back to Texas at that time? Yep. We moved back to um, I moved to, to Brian initially. Okay. And um, <clears throat> and that's when it got real difficult is uh, mm. when I was totally removed from that environment. Because you, you lost the structure you had in your life. Right. Uh, I lost. And uh, friends. and Yeah. Um, some of the, the purpose that okay. I had and everything else. So let's talk about Team Red, White, and Blue and it, how it helped because we've got about eight and a half minutes left. Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm just no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. My, my guest today is CT, and I, I again, I you're not going to be able to call in. I know that a lot of you may be wanting to do that, but we are pre-recording this. So, CT, tell us a little bit about Team Red, White, and Blue, the impact it had on his, your life. And then I, I do want to spend some time talking about how people can get involved with Team Red, White, and Blue. Yeah, so Team Red, White, and Blue, I, I got involved with them. I mean, this is what, what helped during my mm-hmm. transition. Um, it, it gave me a lot of things that, that I was missing um, you know, the mission of Team Red, White, and Blue is to enrich uh, the lives of America's veterans by connecting them to the community through physical and social activity. So when we talk about enrichment, um, there's three components to that, which are health, people, and purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what it gave me then when I first became a member, and it still gives me that. Um, you know, I got active again, you know. Um, so to- the, you maybe went through some depression as you— as the transition happened, and this helped you with that depression and all that other stuff? Yeah, and I was I hadn't done any self-care at that point. Okay. I had just done a lot of, like, running hard as I could and then, you know, for as long as I could. And then now a lot of the stuff, both mentally and physically, I was just broken. I really okay. had no, no business even staying in at that point. You know? Okay. So tell us about th- these three aspects of Team Red, White, and Blue, uh, how those work, and can, can uh, civilians or non-veterans be involved in that? Yeah, anybody's welcome to join. You know, we are a veteran service organization, mm-hmm. so the focus is veterans, but anybody's welcome to join, and I think that's really important. So uh, as someone who's, who's receiving as well as someone who's giving? Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, I even non-veterans get a lot of benefit okay. out of it, and okay. and they're not necessarily volunteering. You know, okay. they're not necessarily in a uh, mm-hmm. leadership position or anything like that. But it's just a part of like connecting with with other people, mm-hmm. like-minded people, um, who who want to be active and um, and and you're getting that connection. You know, as humans, uh, without connection. There is suffering, and and you know we are not a mental health organization. Um, we don't do um, you know necessarily you know employment stuff or school benefits or navigating the VA. But I think it's through a lot of those connections that we prevent 
you know, homelessness and which and is a big problem, and, from what I understand, among veterans. Yeah. So I mean, mental health. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a people thing. It's a human issue, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, if if someone is isolated and they're not connected, and and then being active in general, you know, it's what's good for the body is also good for the mind. So, okay. Now, other than yourself, mm-hmm. that, that you're basically telling us that it's almost a miracle that that you made that have made that transition and continuing to make it. Right. Do you have any stories that you can tell without compromising confidentiality of someone that you've seen through your involvement in Team Red, White, and Blue, where they they came in and they were maybe semi-catatonic or whatever and came out after some period of time to become what people would call normal? Yeah. Um, there are probably thousands of people at this point that would tell you that Team Red, White, and Blue saved their life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and there's there's nothing complex about what we do. You know, there's no like program where day in and out, day in and out, like there's things. There's no that twelve people, strap program. Yeah, I mean it, it's entirely, you know, physical and social activities, which mm-hmm. could be like getting together for a barbecue or meeting up for dinner somewhere, or it could be going for a run in the park or doing some kind of workout together with with some people. You know, it's it. It's very simple, but the impact is huge. Um, so basically what you're doing is helping people to find acceptability and purpose. Some, yeah. So people do get purpose out of it um, in, in a couple different areas. Uh, we get purpose out of challenge and doing things that are, are difficult, purpose out of uh, being able to volunteer and mm-hmm. serve others in the community. Um, and then there's purpose of, of being a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's several aspects that, that people find, and everybody gets something different out of it, mm-hmm. you know. CT, uh, I want to do it now, and I want to do it at the end. If people want more information about Team Red, White, and Blue, where do they go? Uh, team Red, White, or TeamRWB.org. Is, TeamRWB.org. Yep. Or you can download... We have an app. Okay. And uh, if you just type in Team RWB into your app store or okay. whatever right. the Android equivalent is. Okay. Now, does how if, if there's a parent here or a spouse that has uh, someone that is trying to make this transition and it's been difficult, or even just a friend, how can they help that person get involved? Or is, does, does the person need to make the first step? Uh in a way, yes. So we're a nonprofit, but at the same time, we're not a charity, you know, um, like there, there is some onus that's put on the veteran. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're going to challenge some people to, mm-hmm. to do things. And those challenges come in different forms. For some people, that's like doing a hundred mile race. For mm-hmm. some people, that's like just showing up to an event yeah. and, and not necessarily doing any physical activity. So, um, so really, there's a couple different ways. I mean, if you go on the website, you can see all of the different chapters that are available, and each one has and, an email point and there's of contact. And he- there's one here because Correct. you're very actively involved in that, and I'm sure there's probably one adjacent to all of our listening areas. Yeah, most major cities now we have a, a mm-hmm. chapter, and there's um, close to 200 chapters that are across the U.S. right now. Now, if someone wants to sponsor this as a way of supporting our veterans, is can they make a donation to Team Red, White, and Blue? 
Yeah, on on our website, there's a, a donate button that you can click on. That um, if you know, it'll give you information if you want to mail in a check or if you want to actually electronically send in a donation. Uh, we've got a minute and a half, and I want to give you that opportunity to say whatever you want to say to to our audience about Team Red, White, and Blue and and how to help a veteran. Yeah, it's tough to squeeze in a minute and a half, right? But uh, (laughs) I will say, you know, it's, um, you know, sometimes it's just spending time with a veteran and connecting with them. I mean, I think just as humans in general, being able to, um, you know, connect with somebody, you know, we all have uh, different experiences, but we what we do have in common is our emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I may have different experiences, but we've all felt, you know, joy. We've felt sadness, you know, and those are things that we can still connect on regardless of, of how different our experiences may be. Um, and, and Team Red, White, and Blue is a great place to do that. Okay, so again, that that website is Team R wb.org and ct has been my guest today and i really thank all of you for listening uh and remember always when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth always round up since you wake